Parker, get in my office. You give me more photos of this Spider-Man or you're fired. You know what you need to do? You need to go listen to Amazing Spider Talk. They know what's going on over there. Mark and Dan have the scoop. I ought to hire them. I don't even know why I keep your dumb ass around here. Too many who know the angles, uncover and untangle all the questions and the webs left out to tangle. Be in Welcome to the Amazing Spider Talk. My name is Dan Gavazdan, and I'm the founder and editor of SuperiorSpiderTalk.com. And I'm Mark Chinacchio, founder of the Chasing Amazing blog and currently an editor at SuperiorSpiderTalk.com. I know many of you are probably listening to this very podcast while you're in line to see Captain America Civil War. So we want to thank you for joining us for this special Essentials episode of our show We hope you enjoy this podcast and that it provides an intelligent conversation between two fans and collectors as we hope to look at the Spider-Man comic universe in a bit of a bigger picture. Yes, and as Dan teased in that that last paragraph in this episode, we'll be discussing our potential essential Spider-Man comic, Dan's pick, Civil War, written by Mark Millar with pencils by Steve McNiven. And then we'll be checking in with our latest Flash Thompson's Flash reviews. Dan, I still haven't heard anything from Flash. It's been two months. I think we might have to move on from Flash. I think you might be right. Time to get out the casting uh, room and, uh, and start finding a replacement. Yeah, but, but, but you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that in a few minutes or maybe like 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, at, at the time of this recording, you know, uh, Neither of us have seen Captain America Civil War, so I'm actually excited that we're revisiting this, this story that got it all started and uh, I, th- I think really kick-started the Marvel renaissance that we're still riding today. So uh, I guess uh, let's get right into it, Mark. Civil War. Yeah. Uh. Good God. All right. <laughs> so, Dan, Civil War, your pick. Uh, it's certainly a huge Marvel comic book, but what makes it an essential Spider-Man comic? Well, when I was looking at, you know, the essentials that we had to choose, I have to admit that we're, we're running out of, of stories that I felt that passionately about. But I thought, you know, it's a round out this list. We really need Spider-Man in an event that wasn't just a Spider-Man event. But was it, you know, a a universe-wide event? And there's plenty to choose from. But uh, I thought, you know, none of them featured Peter so centrally more than Civil War. He played such a crucial role in that book. 
where he played almost the audience surrogate. He was the everyman. And I certainly know, rereading the story for this episode, I really like tapped into Peter's emotional uh, arc and, and, and his feelings. You know, he starts off on Tony Stark's side, and I feel like I started the journey off on Tony Stark's side. And as Peter changes his mind, so did I. And I, I think it's a really, you know, great placement of the character um, within one of these st- stories. Um, and, and really, you know, he, he is the audience. Um, the emotional power of this story, I think, is reflected in Peter's face. And uh, his feelings of betrayal echo those of the reader as well. Um, so I, I think emotionally this is the, the, the uh, big event story that's appropriate to talk about Peter. But then there's the added level of significance for this story that uh, – you know, this is probably the only time in the history of the character, I can't imagine them doing this again, uh, that we'll see Peter unmasked publicly, and I guess the consequences for doing so um, are a bit in this story and the ones to follow. Um, and um, I think there's some really great character moments for Peter here, um, you know, beyond just the reveal, and, and, and great moments for Peter supporting uh, 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 players like Jonah. He's got a fun couple beats in this story, but, um, you know, there's this great moment with Peter reworking Iron Man's Iron Spider suit, and maybe it doesn't appear in the pages of Civil War, but the ancillary Amazing Spider-Man titles captured that, and I think altogether there's a really great, you know, this is a great time for Peter Parker, whether you like the reveal of his identity or not, and an important chapter in his ongoing story. So that's why I, I think it's essential, um, and certainly something not to be passed over so lightly. So, uh, Mark, what, what are your thoughts about about this pick and, I guess, about Civil War in general? <laughs> well, it, it's, it's funny because, you know, it's, I'm glad you phrased your question that way because I have two different answers for you. I, I mean, I absolutely agree with you in terms of um, its placement on this list. I mean, this is – this is – Absolutely a turning point major story for Marvel, but like, I mean, this is obviously a critical point for Spider-Man, so much so that, I mean, kind of going beyond the comic books, um, you know, I feel that it, it was Marvel's production of this Civil War movie that really accelerated their negotiations with Sony to get them in this movie because there was, a, I think, a legitimate belief from both fans and people on the movie side that how can you do a Civil War movie without Spider-Man? I mean, would you agree to that? I mean, that, that seemed to be a very dominant sentiment during that whole process between Marvel and Sony. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even, even this week there have been reports coming out that the script was like dramatically changed to include Spider-Man and that there were early, you know, alternate versions of the script with Spider-Man in it and without him in it in order to accommodate however this worked out, but there was a strong push. Uh, you know, Black Panther apparently played a much larger, more central role in the film and they changed that role completely to accommodate Peter. Uh, and so I, I'm interested to see how that plays out, and perhaps a lot of the people listening to this now know how that play, played out. But, uh, right. but yeah, I think you're right. Um, but so so again, I think this is a great pick on your part. Um, but as for the story, Dan, I got to tell you, this might be one of my least favorite Marvel stories ever, <laughs> for wow. a lot of reasons. Um, and, and you know what, it's weird. It's, I, I, when I read this, 
when it first came out in the, in the mid 2000s, I actually liked it. I was like, oh, you know, this is this is, and you know, I'm not gonna lie. I I, I think between doing chasing amazing and doing this podcast it's kind of like skewed my how i read comics and what i'm looking for and the and and the things that i'm really gravitating towards and you know i'm also older now i mean that was what 10 years ago or nine years ago that story came out i mean i'm in a completely different place um you know the 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 events that Civil War were, was certainly an allegory to when it first came out. Are 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 more in the rearview mirror, and other things have happened since then that might be also jaded. You know, my my view of it a little bit, because like when I was rereading this, I mean, Dan, I was really frustrated with it. I think it's just a mess of character. I mean, you know, in a lot of ways. <laughs> I, I'm I, I, I'm looking at I'm looking at a page of notes here, so I don't want to like jump the gun. Explain to me why you think this is kind of not only just an important Spider-Man story, but an important Marvel story. Because I I have a retort for you. Okay, I mean I think this this story. I, I mean reading it with you, there there, Malar's tone is 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 certainly far more negative and 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 pessimistic about these characters. I think than than uh, most of the Marvel Universe today skews. And, and I think you could see that also back then when they paired Millar with Bendis on creating the Ultimate Universe and their two very distinctly different attitudes towards the characters. You know, I mean, it's, it's as plain as day in Ultimate Spider-Man and the Ultimates that the two tones couldn't be more different. Um, and I think there is some of that ultimate senti- Ultimates sensibilities that co- come into play in this story where, you know, uh, I think I think Tony and 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 the cap are a bit more hardliner than they probably would be in other appearances. But I, I think reading this story, just like watching old movies, needs to be read with a firm grasp of the context in which it came out. Which is this kind of post nine eleven um, Bush doctrine? Um, uh, the uh, what, what, am I, what am I looking for here? The, the, this is an allegory for many things, uh, namely our our anti terrorist tactics and and spying activities and policing our own people. But to me, even even now, I find resonance in this story. Uh, comparing it to the police behavior that we're seeing, you know, by the people that are meant to save us are victimizing, you know, our, our own citizenry. But I, but, but I think, especially back then, there was this real fear in the country. And, and addressing this in the pages, whether it was appropriate characterization, and there are beats that work better for me than others, I, I think – the ending of this story and Cap's final decision comes completely out of nowhere and has always bothered me. But um, I think that the comics community had just recovered from, you know, Marvel at least, from nearly going bankrupt. And I think that this story tackling these real-world scenarios in this kind of political allegory really was looking to – to bring people back into Marvel and add some kind of 
credibility that this their stories could be enjoyed by an older audience. And I think very much so. I'll end this this long speech uh, by by saying I think this brought out back a lot of adult readers that really were looking to uh, find their way back into comics uh, you know, as a uh, a legitimate uh, storytelling platform. And I, I think it's changed because people have been pulled back into the old fantasies of comics, but I think it was a necessary thing for comics at the time. Yeah, I, I, I don't <clears throat> I don't disagree with any of that. And, and you know, I, I, I don't have the numbers in front of me in terms of sales and stuff, but I, I also don't question um, this being kind of a lightning rod and bringing people back. Um you know, my thing is here is, you know, as as politically aware and, and, and what, you know, it's kind of kind of goes to that old, you know, uh, Dr. Ian Malcolm Jurassic Park argument. You know, we all talked about uh, whether we could. Maybe we never talked about whether we should. And, and Civil War to me, especially looking at it, you know, with with hindsight and, you know, the power of of reading it in 2016 um, kind of opened the door, and and I think people who um, saw Batman vs Superman and, and were upset about it could identify with with the point I'm about to make. Is I feel that this this story kind of kicked off this trend in comics and and and, and media related to comics of um, creators and and you know writers, editors, producers, directors, etc. Um, taking these, you know, flagship characters that have decades of history behind them and saying, yeah, that is not what's important. What's important is the story we're trying to tell, you know, and and if it if you don't like the fact that the characters are unrecognizable, it doesn't matter because we have a story we're trying to tell. And I think that's something that, you know, brings in can certainly serve as a as a as a bridge for new for new readers to come in because you know they don't they don't care what cap did in similar kind of situations in the 80s and the 90s and the 70s and the 60s and ditto with tony stark and ditto with superman or batman or you know anything like that uh when it comes to that but i i do think it alienates the the people who you know have a fondness for these characters because of who these characters are, not the fact that they're just symbols. You know what I mean? It's not, it's not just a person in a suit with a shield or in a helmet. It's, it's, it's more than that. It's what these characters represent and how these characters have grown and changed or, or regressed over time. And, and civil war as a story just kind of comes in and scrubs that all away and says, no, we're just going to focus on these elements and, you know, cause we need it. We have, a, we have to tell a story and this, and this, and we, have, we, cause we want to tell a story that's an allegory for nine 11. And we need to kind of have these, these very um, black and white lines to start so that we can kind of get into the shades of gray in the middle. Um, but, but the way the characters are current have been drawn over the last 40, 50 years preceding that isn't convenient in telling that story. And that's to me, you know, that's frustrating to me. What, um, what are the specific like lines with like, let's say just Captain America and Tony Stark where you feel like 
this is the point where they cross the line in terms of breaking the characterization. Because uh, for most of this book, I feel like it does a good job telling you how they arrive at their points of view. And I find myself sympathizing with both of them um, to a point, and I can understand the slippery slope that has both of them doing acts that I feel like they wouldn't normally do. Um, but I, I can understand also where they might uh, break free from characters for other readers. And, and and we tend to disagree. Like, I like the Ultimates fairly more than you do. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I'm curious, what is? are there specific points where you're like, this is where Cap broke for me. This is where Iron Man broke for me as a character. I don't know if this is the definitive line, per se. I mean... I think for Cap, it would be kind of like the booby trap handshake because okay. like that just that just feels very it's it's a very immoral move for Cap to make because it's very dishonorable in terms of how to fight. That's like a guerrilla tactic. And that's, you know, Captain America is not a guerrilla. Ta- you know, he's he's sure. Uncle Sam punching Hitler. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, yeah, Um and then for for Iron Man, I would say it was the, the, the cloning Thor, which just seemed like so outlandish. And 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 this like this constant kind of well, you know I'll 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 pay you know, like when 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 Thor kills Goliath, well, I paid for the funeral. It's the least I can do. It just seems like so tone deaf to even even beyond Tony's narcissism that we've seen in the past. Um, I it's it's not so much that these are a betrayal of the characters. I just feel that Malar height you know zeroes in on the most heightened elements of these characters, and then never modulates from that and that creates this mess of characterization it's it's not that because yeah tony tony is a narcissist and 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 cap is uber principled about everything but like if you just you know dial it to 11 and never leave that it it doesn't read like the characters after a while you know yeah i totally feel that both of those stand out for me they they try to do some lip service to the the handshake where it's like well then you shouldn't have killed like two of my, my two of my guys coming in you know uh or not killed them but he he doesn't he like sh- shoot at them uh yeah. or disable two of cap's forces before agreeing to the handshake yeah and the, and the thor thing is bizarre period that there's this kind of lobotomied uh clone of thor but uh yeah, I, I feel you on that. So um, I don't think we're too far apart. Um, I mean, I, I enjoy it for what it is. It's this kind of like bold declaration. But let's let's talk about Spider-Man's role in this um, because we are sure. talking about Spider-Man. And, and I think we both agree that his role in this is enjoyable, I guess, to say the least, or, or at least essential and, and an interesting part of it, both in Amazing Spider-Man proper and in this series. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, if I'm being totally honest, I, I don't have any issue with how Spider-Man is used in this series. I mean, I, I, I think there is a, a, 
way a little too much leverage being placed on the reader having read the tie-in issues to kind of give some of what happens some context. Because, I mean, if you just look at these seven issues, it's missing context, especially like before the unmasking and stuff like that, Um, which, again, could be confusing for someone who just read Civil War through the series itself. But we've read those other issues. We kind of know where this is coming from. And 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 this and this builds off that very well, in my opinion. Yeah, and they, they do some lip service to it. They say he discussed it with Aunt May and Mary Jane, and we see them both, you know, like encouraging him while watching TV during his announcement. And you know, they, they make me- mention of, you know, the mentoring later on. And I, I feel like you get, uh, like, you know, the political reason for why having Spider-Man do this was a good move for Tony's cause. But you're right. Yeah, the other book really fills it out a lot more. And it's funny how it's played because you get moments here like uh, where Spider-Man eventually turns on Tony. And there's a whole beat that's in Amazing Spider-Man that's not in here that I think might be my favorite beat of all of Civil War where Peter, like, you know, Tony takes control of, of Peter's suit. And then Peter's like, what? I'm a scientist. You would, You don't think I would have rewired this thing, you know, and, and, and turns it on Tony. Um, but even just Civil War proper, uh, you know, uh, one of my favorite moments is where he kind of turns on him and he, and he realizes, like, I made a really bad decision uh, throwing in with you. Uh, I forget the exact line uh, that, that he uses uh, when he turns on, on uh, Peter. I think it's something about, like, him saying, like, I'm really disappointed in myself. Well, yeah, because Tony says to Peter, I'm disappointed in you, Peter. And then Spider-Man says, and it's kind of like spread out, not as disappointed as I am in, and then it's myself. And that's like, that's such a great quintessential Spider-Man moment to me. Because like, you know, because the way the words are kind of parceled out, it could have been not as disappointed as I am in you kind of a thing. But it's no, it's, it's, you know. It's Peter Parker to the core. It's like I'm I'm taking the responsibility. I screwed up. I made the mistake in 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 believing in you and not you know. So, you know, the disappointment lies in within lies in within myself, not in, in what you what you did, Tony. You know, like yeah, that's yeah. A, that's a, it's just a great moment. I think that's a fantastic moment. And and even leading up to that, you know, Spider Man is the first to question. Anybody's motives, you know, uh, you know what what side is doing what, and and where he lies within it, and and kind of starts this underground movement within Tony's group to kind of like question, uh, you know, what is going on with his friend, and and, and to me, uh, your complaints about the Thor and, and things like that are echoed in Spider-Man's commentary on this issue. Once the Thor thing happens, Spider-Man realizes, like, wait a minute, like. What is going on with this guy that I threw in with, uh, and 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 how is it? You know, has he gone too far? And and after he turns on him, we get this really brutal series of events in the sewer between Spider-Man and some of his like I guess like C-list rogues gallery. Yeah, uh, yeah, but they're all they're souped up because they're throwing in with the Thunderbolts now, so. And it's really, like, gruesome. I mean, like, I think it's very rare that you see Peter that banged up. Uh, and, and, of course, he's saved by none other than the Punisher, who I, I always – I never forget, like, how he just 
like, you know, blows Jack Lantern's head open and it's just pumpkin goo. Uh, a really kind of distur- <laughs> disturbing visual image, uh, only to be followed up with, uh, you know, Spider-Man being carried like the Pieta through the doors into Cap's uh, secret headquarters. Yeah, no, I mean it's 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 a very striking visual sequence, um, and of course, like you know, the Punisher ends up blowing it for himself two seconds later. So, in typical Frank Castle fashion, <laughs> I like all the all the beats surrounding that. Like Cap entertains the thought of bringing the Punisher in, and you see that even Cap is starting to really bend his, you know, uh, his morals. Like it, you know, the, this whole thing has really taken a toll on him, and and only does he realize too late that accepting the Punisher into the fold meant making a deal with the devil, uh, you know, in, in some sort. Uh, and and to me, that's an interesting counter to, you know, like how far Tony is willing to go with locking everybody up, you know, and recruiting villains. You know, Cap is doing it as well, and both of them have so lost their ways. Um, I, I, at least I find that interesting uh, as a beat in the story. Yeah, I mean, I, I when you asked me earlier about moments where you think like the character kind of went too far, I, I, I do feel that. Um, and, and, you know, rereading, it kind of reminded me of this. Like I, I, I didn't, I, I kind of lost it a little bit when, you know, so Punisher kills the two people in front of Cap and, you know, he promptly gets tossed from the secret Avengers and, you know, and they're just kind of like, I mean, I forget who said it, but they're more or less saying it's, it's Frank. Oh no! And they were like, "Oh, why? 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 Why was uh, Punisher letting Cap beat you? You know, just beat you up without challenging you?" And it's like, because that's you know, he, they're soldiers. That's just what he knows. And Cap was just like, "No, he's not a soldier. He's just a sociopath or something like that." And I was just like, "No, I mean, there's actually been stories in in Captain America comics where like." Cap is like acknowledged, like you know, I don't agree with the Punisher at all, but I understand where the mindset is. You know what I mean? And it's like, I, I guess, I guess it was supposed to reflect how frayed Cap was at that point, and that he was kind of even questioning himself for throwing in with the Punisher. But like, it just seemed like such a strong overreaction. And it, again, it, it goes back to that, like taking taking a heightened state and just sticking with it and, you know, never, never, never having that moment to like kind of instead of, instead of being more subtle about what was going on in Cap's brain, it's like, no, everything is just heightened. You know, it's, it's yelling and screaming and spit flying, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's in a, for me, it's like, it's an event book and I, I tend to expect that. And, uh, and I like the book is at least critical on Cap and Tony's decisions. Another favorite moment of mine is where Tony is in the graveyard and Miriam Sharp comes up and hands him an action figure uh, of Iron Man. And to, to me, it really brings up the idea of, like, you know, who are these people that we place our trust in? And and, and I ask myself, like, how do we do our best to regulate them within within reality and in this fictional world? And and at that point, you see this action figure, and he holds it in his hand, and you realize how far this character has come, you know, from being this beloved children's play toy 
to being this hardened – and I guess that goes into your criticism, but I think the book is aware of it to a certain degree. Yeah. Well, it's a good choice, Dan. Anything, anything else you wanted to say on this? I don't want to – no, I, I mean, like, I think, I think th- the main point is just that I think it's a really strong event appearance by Peter Parker, and if anybody gets done writing this story, it's him. Absolutely, and he gets three costumes in this book, which is, you know, <laughs> yeah. I, think, I think a record. <laughs> yeah, the reappearance of the black suit in that kind of, like, very cryptic, shadowy uh, way. And I, and I do enjoy how, like, throughout the whole book, like, Maria Hill and S.H.I.E.L.D. are all like, I knew we couldn't trust that guy. You know, it's just, it's, I mean, again, like that, it, this, this book is very, very keen on Spider-Man in, in its own unique way. And, and for what it's worth, I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a huge fan of Mark Millar as a comic book writer, but I actually did enjoy his run on Marvel Knight Spider-Man. And, and, you know, so I think he does do the character right for the most part it's not i don't find that story to be an all-time great like some people do but i i I do enjoy it if that makes sense and jonah gets a great moment here like his dream is finally coming true you know he's getting this registration act passed through which is everything he always wanted you know out of spider-man and then it turns into a monkey's paw i guess when he finds out that uh that peter is spider-man and one of the i think one of the all-time funny panels of him just passing out, and when Glory says, you know, he says, if, if you ask me if I what I want for lunch one more time, you're fired. Uh, yeah. <laughs> when he's about to find out Spider-Man's identity, I think really funny stuff. And the only other reflection we really got on on Jonah's uh, discovery of who Peter was under the, or Spider-Man was under the mask was in Peter David's friendly neighborhood Spider-Man, uh, where we got some kind, you know, he he sues. Peter for for uh, for lying to him for all these years. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, Jonah. I would have liked a little <laughs> more of the Jonah like after effect um, in the Civil War book proper, but like you said, we 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 got it in the other books. So yeah, there I mean, you there's go. so many things that came out of the Civil War story that I wish you know one more day hadn't put a halt to. Like just. So many potential ideas for great stories and that we'll never see. Uh, and I don't think Marvel's going to be eager to jump back into the well of exposing Peter's identity again. Probably not. All right, Dan, I don't want to rush us, but we're getting into – we got Flash Thompson's Flash reviews and no Flash Thompson. And I'm just dying to find out what's going to happen. So you've probably surmised over the past month or so, uh, Flash Thompson has moved on to greener, hopefully happier pastures. Uh, yeah, yeah, Dan. I, I, you know, while while Flash writes in every once in a while, still lets me know that he thinks you're an ass. Um, Betty Brandt has apparently talked some sense into him, and he will not be returning. Uh, at least for the conceivable future. Do you, do you think there's any time he might come back? I don't. I think he's done, Dan. 
I can't believe that I'm wishing for Flash to come back. This is certainly a, a strange a strange twist. But uh, does this mean that we don't have to review the B-books anymore? I mean, it would be a significant load off of our backs. Oh, of course not, Dan. The game must continue, right? Come on. It's what we're all paying for. Uh, but we want our listeners to have a say in the segment going forward. So over the next few installments of this feature, which I guess won't be called Flash Thompson's Flash Reviews anymore, uh, Dan and I are going to bring in some very special guests to introduce the reviews. And when we're done, you, our, our listeners, will get to vote on who gets to host the segment going forward. Oh, joy. Another voting uh, op- opportunity for our listeners. Is this going to be one of these endless things like our essentials? I, I, I think we'll probably stop around five or six guests and then and then we'll have a real vote. Uh, right, you know, right. we, like, like, I mean, like, like, Dan, you got to understand, I, I, I'm kind of scraping the bottom of the barrel to find some of these people. So, um, are you just are you yeah. bumping into them on the streets of New York? Yeah, well, you know, I, I, I do have that advantage, you know, living in Brooklyn and also, you know, working in the city. Um, so I'm, I'm able to find people from all walks of life. Um, and speaking of walks of life. Oh, that was terrible. Um, let's let's bring in our first guest, Nathan Lebetsky. Well, it's uh, it's it's good to be here with you, young gents. Wow, you know, Nathan, you look pretty great for your age. Uh, 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 tell our listeners why you want to be the host of a. Uh, the flash review segment is it to, to kind of get like a, a steady income coming in. Well, 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 listen here, Dan. You see, I'm a guy who believes in second chances. I also believe in the youth of our country, especially young, upstanding men like like you and Mark here. So uh, being around you guys makes me feel alive in a way I haven't felt since I met that lovely May Parker and her nephew back in the day. But. Beyond feeling young and alive, I, I have to be a little honest here, Sonny. I could use some of that extra scratch that comes with a gig like this if you catch my drift. Uh, scratch? Uh, Nathan, you realize this is its not a paid spot, right? I mean, like, we could barely provide booze for, for Flash. Oh, it's not paid. Uh, so I, I, I would be doing this for free. Hmm. Uh, hold on a second. I'm just going to make a call here, okay? Give me give me one second, Sonny. Put everything, put everything I got on the Washington Generals. Yeah, everything. Put it all. The house, the, 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 the wheelchair, everything. Because they're going to beat the Harlem Globetrotters this time, and then I'm going to walk away with all the money. Nathan, are, are you still there? Uh... Uh, he, 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 he just wheeled away, Dan, and uh, he's on his phone. He's kind of got this panicked look on his face, though. It's something about, you know, if he doesn't win this time, he's, he, he's, he's not going to have any legs left to, to wheel around on. Mark, you better go follow him and make sure that he's safe. All right. Well, well, I'll catch up to him in a minute. But why don't, why don't we get to the to the reviews, Dan? I can't imagine anything negative happening to him while you're not watching him. 
No, no, no. I'm just going to I'm just going to go attend to um, Crusher Hogan's uh, incident while Nathan rolls over there. Uh, <laughs> or maybe I'll just review or maybe I'll just review Spider-Man 2099 number nine. That sounds like a good you, call. All right. Ready? You bet. Three, two, one. So now the series is back to the world of Miguel, Tempest, and the mystery of her family. There is some definite intrigue, but this story also seems to keep drifting back to inhuman territory, which is just never a good sign for its future. I mean, hopefully Peter David and Will Sliney can keep the focus on things and where it belongs, and we can get a satisfying conclusion to this long-running thread that now goes back to more than a year ago. Can you believe that Secret Wars upended everything a year ago, Dan? Uh, I'm not in love with this series like I once was, but it's still a solid read, so I'll stay positive for the time being. Uh, I guess I can't say fan club certified anymore, and so in honor of our guest host this week, I'm going to say a winning scratch ticket. Great. What do you think about that, Dan? Yeah, and speaking (laughs) of Inhumans, they canceled that movie, so we'll see if the push for Inhumans remains as strong in the Marvel Universe. Well, they're all over Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., so I, I just can't see it changing anytime soon. <laughs> all, all right. right. Count me I'm in a... for Spider-Man 2099 number nine. Three, two, one. First of all, 2099 number nine is a lot of nines, but uh, <laughs> Peter David definitely stands out amongst modern writers in that all of his stories at first seem to be totally random, and then out of nowhere, he somehow finds a way to tie them all to, in together. In fact, you were critical of him about this, and then he responded on your blog being like, no, just have some patience. And I, yeah. I, I think it makes for a confusing read and asks for a lot of patience from the audience. And uh, I'm not sure that any of these dangling plots have ever been resolved in a way that I find particularly intriguing or worth it. But um, as this is an issue that focuses back on the central conflict and brings a number of various loose threads together, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt that this long-form storytelling is going to yield an interesting character turn for Miguel. So uh, I'm giving this one, Mark, like, just like you, a winning scratch ticket. Well, next up, we're going to talk about Spider-Man number three. This is the Miguel, uh, not Miguel, the Miles Morales. Miles Morales. uh, uh, Of Spider-Man, not the Todd McFarlane run one. So uh, let me do the countdown to this very special Kamala Khan issue in three, two, one. I seem to be the only Spidey fan in our little circle who does not find this new Miles series all that enchanting, Dan. I get what Marvel and Bendis are going for. They want a series about a teenager with teenage problems, and what's more teenage than doing bad in high school? But the character of Miles' grandmother is absolutely degrading to read about in a superhero book. She kind of reminds me of like a bossy high school principal from a Roald Dahl novel. Uh, But beyond that, then we also have more Black Cat, which, I mean, you know, She's just becoming the most overexposed character in the Spider-Verse. The stuff between Miles and Kamala Khan was cute and inoffensive, but it's just not enough to move the needle for me right now. So, uh, again, uh, in in the theme of our uh, guest host, uh, this one is considered broken legs. Oh, my legs! (laughs) (laughs) Broken legs from Joey the Elbow, who surprisingly (laughs) only used his knees to break your legs. (laughs) All right, well, count me in for Spider-Man number three. Yeah, come on in in three, two, one. Mark, uh, I'm glad that the series is focusing so heavily on the personal lives of its characters, specifically Miles, 
as it's providing the necessary grounding for the character that I found absent from both this previous series with the character and most of the Spider titles that we're getting right now. But that being said, I thought that while this issue was charming and featured the regular beautiful art uh, and, and I guess fun cameos, I wasn't really sure what the point behind any of them were. Lana Baumgartner and Kamala Khan both show up at Miles' house, but there's no hint as to what for. There's nothing on the line with these characters, and so for no apparent reason for their inclusion in the story, other than just to cameo. So for me, the stakes felt non-existent for them and Miles. So, you know, I liked it all right, but uh, yeah, this one is broken legs for me, too. Oh, my legs! Joey the Elbow style. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, speaking of abbreviated Spider-Man titles, we got Spidey coming up, Spidey number four. Uh, and we got a new artist on this book in this issue. So uh, why don't I count you in, Mark, in three, two, one. Yeah, you're going to talk about the art. I'm going to talk about the story. Uh, it only took four issues, but I'm already at my wit's end with this series. And uh, while I could see the value in a back-to-basic Spider-Man book, um, similar to what I'm dealing with with Marvel and Miles Morales right now, it seems like the, the Marvel's is pandering to a certain audience while completely neglecting the long-term readers who love this character, too. And it's not that it's Peter's youth that's a problem, but Robbie Thompson's writing style is just wearing so thin for me. He's actually recycling jokes he used in Silk in this book, which is just crazy for me. Uh, it doesn't hold up. Plus, it was one thing when Spidey was seemingly retconning Peter's early days, despite not, but despite not marking itself as an alternative universe book, um, the fact that they're doing that now with Doom and, and by proxy the Fantastic Four. I mean, come on, respect your readers more than that, Marvel. Uh, broken legs. Oh, my legs! All right, Dan, you go in three, two, one. Yeah, well, I, I, I like you, Mark. I think this is the end of my interest in collecting Spidey for all the reasons you said. But for me, the exit of Nick Bradshaw from interior artwork is probably the biggest mistake this series could have made from an editorial standpoint. As like that was the primary draw for me to this title, his really intricate, beautiful art. It's not that I don't like Andre Araujo's art. It's it's just that it couldn't be more the opposite style from Bradshaw's incredibly detailed pages. Araujo's art is simple, spacious, and lacking the bombast of previous issues. And, and uh, yeah, Thompson's writing is fine, but the art was the main draw, and so I'm thinking I'm dr- of dropping the title after the story wraps up in number five. Unless Bradshaw suddenly decides to come back, which it seems from the solicits he's not going to. So I'm calling this one Two Broken Legs, or whatever we're calling these things. Oh, my legs! Uh, poor Nathan. All right, Spider-Gwen number seven. Count me in, Dan. All right, this is the uh, first uh, Spider-Gwen issue from the Spider-Women crossover. So uh, three, two, one. So one of the most inconsistent inconsistent Spider-Series currently out there has another wild month as we move into Spider-Woman territory. I guess my issue is more with the larger storyline, which is just another glorified attempt to get silk over with the masses. But it just ain't working because readers don't tend to respond well when being told which characters we need to love. I mean, at least not for me. I mean, the premise of everyone getting stuck in Gwen's world and finding their doppelgangers has some appeal. But ultimately, this is just disrupting the flow of Spider-Gwen again. And it's coming to another critical juncture as the series was seemingly getting its funny back in terms of world building and characterization. So I'm going to say broken legs. Oh, my legs! Dan, what do you say in three, two, one? 
Well, Mark, uh, opposite to you, I can safely say that I'm really enjoying this story. Uh, this is exactly what I want from a crossover event. You know, not that I necessarily want crossover events, but I really think that this one is really focused on character and world building first with a bit of action and a hint of intrigue. I'm enjoying everything that we're learning about Gwen's universe and its slightly sillier take on the regular universe. And I think that the chemistry between the three women is really fun to read and it makes me intrigued to read each of their own stories so much more. Even though I've been loving Spider-Women, I think she's got a great role in this. And yes, we've broken away from Spider-Gwen's previous plotting, but I think we got a great scene here with Captain Stacy that tells us a lot about him. And honestly, I think it was time for this book to take a little bit of a breather from these big stories it was telling. So, again, I'm calling this one a winning scratch ticket. Look at you with your winning scratch ticket. Mark, your, your feelings about Silk have become crystal clear. So let's talk about Silk number seven and see if you uh, can convince us. Uh, well, I guess just tell us how you feel about it. Uh, in general. So three, two, one. Well, since Spider-Woman is basically going to be Silk's story, it's no surprise, or maybe it will be to you, Dan, that my favorite chapter of it thus far is what I read in the Silk series. This is still an imperfect book, but at least we got some interesting character moments from Cindy here as she attempts to reconcile with her family from an alternative Earth. We also get some nice parallel characters here, including Adak Ak, who is literally an octopus or is it figuratively uh, or actually an octopus well whatever so yeah fun superhero action i'll take it the art is still very touch and go with me on this series and stacy lee left but that was so long ago i guess it's no use complaining um so i'm gonna stay positive and say winning scratch ticket that's actually really surprising but i don't know that i agree that this is silk story but uh i i guess it, i guess it so. feels like it is all it right, feels like right. it is I'll, I'll I'll take it, Mark. You know, you're not allowed to argue with the Flash reviews, okay? All right, that's, all right. That's, that is the that's, rule. That's, that's, yeah. So uh, let's let's hear your your pontifications in three, two, one. I thought this was another winning issue for me, proving that at the very least, Cindy Moon is a tremendously consistently written character, at least outside of Dan Slott's books, and that for me has engendered some serious sympathy. Uh, again, for me, despite and because of her various flaws. The artwork here remains the weak point of this series, but I'm loving this crossover enough that I feel like I can easily overlook it and to read some of the best character work coming out of the Spider office. I, I, I think Spider-Woman is their best series, but bringing all these creators together has created something I think that's really been fun to read. So another winning scratch ticket from the Spider-Woman series for me. I hope I hope it's a good scratch ticket. I hope it's like one of those like five dollar ones with multiple chances. <laughs> That's all that Nathan needs. <clears throat> so speaking, of, yeah. So speaking of uh, multiple chances, we got Spider-Man Deadpool number four. Why don't you count me in? Sure. All right. Three, two, one. So this was what I definitely had in mind when this series was first announced way back when. Spider-Man and Deadpool on a double date with a Norse god and a succubus. I mean, <laughs> classic uh, Spider-Man Deadpool. Anyway, it's a silly, irreverent series, which is a good thing. The cliffhanger ending, which would seemingly suggest, I guess, a huge status quo shift uh, for Spider-Man, is obviously a fake-out, which lowers the stakes a bit in this series. But if Joe Kelly could keep coming up with funny, absurd, team-up, bro-time scenarios for these two characters, uh, I will continue to be a happy camper. Winning scratch ticket for me. Uh, Dan, how about you in three, two, 
one. Speaking of that ending, Mark, whether status quo change or not, I'm really interested to see how Joe Kelly writes himself out of this one because I just can't imagine what actually happened. But uh, to me, this is another winner from Joe Kelly and the brilliant Ed McGuinness, which is able to keep the characterizations, characterizations consistent no matter the bizarre scenario he dreams up for each issue. I'm super pumped that the solicit for the upcoming issues implied that we're getting another time warp issue back to the 60s comics. Uh, but I genuinely, in this issue, bought into Peter's dorkiness on going on a date with a succubus and the resulting chaos of that. And Deadpool continues to be the most intriguing character in this book, though, as you can never rest easy in your knowledge of what he's up to. It isn't that he's funnier than Peter. It's just that his tactics are never quite as clear as he or the writer would have you believe they are. So uh, I love this book. Uh, a winning scratch ticket for me. All righty, Roo. Uh, last book. Oh, uh, boy, another... this is a marathon. I know, and I know we have other books that came out this week that we're not going to get to, but, uh, you know, considering we've just reviewed, what, seven books? <laughs> give, give, give us a break, people. <laughs> when we launched uh, this segment, we thought, maybe we do one or two books a week. Yeah, yeah, not 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 seven. Uh, Web Warriors number six. All right, I'm going to give you the countdown in three, two, one. Uh, I definitely appreciated the shift in narrative focus of the story, and it's something I kind of wished Web Warriors did a little bit more in its first few issues, give us insights into the personalities of these different spider characters beyond uh, Gwen and Spider-Ham. Uh, still, this definitely has the feeling of a standalone story, despite some of the ties to the larger arc and narrative. Uh, and given how poorly the series is selling, I'm not sure if there's really time for standalone stories uh, before it's inevitably canceled. Uh, so, uh, and this is how we're going to frame stories going forward. One character's perspective reacting to the others. I'm all for it. It's a little strange that they're doing it now, but I, I on its own merits, I like this issue. So I'm going to say winning scratch ticket. Awesome. Uh, Dan, last one for you in three, two, one. Yeah, Mark, uh, I, I'm with you. I'm, I like all these character-centric framing devices, but I have to admit that I thought the perspective of Spider-Man Noir in this particular story was a strange choice given the story being told here, specifically because he had very little to do in it. There's some you know, unique parts of the story regarding him, but he kind of felt more like a bystander than anything else, and I wish he was more central to it. Um, and I loved that the team battled all the Electros in the first five issues of this story, but I have to admit to being a bit disappointed that the team is now fighting a team of Venoms from multiple universes. And while that's cool and all, I was kind of hoping for a different kind of foe to appear, not just a costume swap of a whole army. Like, you know, maybe at one central villain that... A offered a threat would have been more interesting than another army again. Still, I'm enjoying this series, and I think it delivers on its promise more than I could have expected from the outset. I just think this is the weakest issue yet. So I'm saying broken leg. Oh, my legs! Oh, do, oh hold on, hold on. I, 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 oh, yeah. I, Nathan, Nathan just got beat up. <laughs> oh, man. Does that mean he's not yeah. going to come back on the show? I mean... Unless the power of the voters nurses him back to health. <laughs> He's like Tinkerbell. Might, I, I mean, we might have to try. If, if, if you really love Nathan, if you believe in Nathan, put money in a slot machine now and pull the lever. <laughs> <laughs> 
And that sound will bring him back. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you can look forward to that update in the future by uh, uh, following our podcast by going to superiorspidertalk.com or on iTunes and Stitcher and Google Play and by searching Amazing Spider Talk. And if you do, please make sure to leave us a rating and a comment to let us know how we're doing, and we'll be sure to read it on the air. Please bring Nathan Lubeski back to life. Of course, you can express that opinion about Nathan uh, by emailing us at AmazingSpiderTalk at gmail.com or calling us at our favorite hotline, Nine Red Goblin, and we'll play or read them on the air. Yeah, and be sure to check out both of our Facebook pages and subscribe to our sister podcast, The Ultimate Spin, to keep up with the adventures of Spider-Gwen and Miles Morales. Um, I do know that Nathan Lubensky is not appearing on The Ultimate Spin, but you should listen to it anyway. I can't say for certain that he's not going to show up there. Maybe in pieces. <laughs> He'll show up there. <laughs> ultimate Nathan Lubensky. There, is there an ultimate Nathan Lubensky? There is not. We have not gone down that realm. Oh man, we gotta we gotta get Bendis on the horn and get him working on that. Bring back the Ultimate Universe just for Ultimate Nathan <laughs> Lubeski. Yeah, and also don't forget to check out our friendly neighborhood Spider Talk Members Club that helps us support our show. Uh, you know, last week we recorded another members only podcast for patrons to enjoy, uh, and it was about all of our favorite events. And I'm guessing in like a week or two we're going to be talking about our feelings about Civil War, the movie. Uh, so if you want to hear all of those awesome podcasts, those members-only podcasts, be sure to sign up on our Patreon page. Yes, Dan. And uh, beyond that, where can we find you on the uh, the Internet? You can follow me on Twitter at, at SupSpiderTalk and on at, at Dan Gavazdin. And all of our writing is at SuperiorSpiderTalk.com, like usual. Like the huge and like you, the huge. Yeah, as I say, for me, at Chasing ASM blog on Twitter, at SuperiorSpiderTalk.com on the website, keeping it short and sweet this week. Great. Now, Mark, I know you're still stinging from the death of your Uncle Ben, but you have to think mm. of it in a different light. I really want to convince you of this. I mean, the guy fought in and survived the Civil War as part of the Northern Army. I mean, not many recently deceased people can claim to have been through that. I, I think perhaps he might be the only one. Uh, did he ever tell you any inspirational stories about his time fighting for the North or the Union or the right guys in history? <laughs> oh, um, yeah. Well, you know, there was that time where um, he was uh, hanging out with uh, Ulysses S. Grant, you know, the general of the Northern Army. Was that his and, nickname uh, at the time? Did they just call him casually the general? They, they 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 called them USG man. Oh, okay. That was they were saying hey hey USG, um, which is kind of a mouthful. But anyway, besides the point, like they were my uncle Ben was part of a conspiracy to murder Jefferson Davis. Really? Uh, yeah, the the leader of the Confederacy, right? So um, you know, they went down to um, what was it Virginia where they had the capital, I believe. I thought that they had uh, just several capitals, but it was probably in Virginia. Yeah, I think they were like in you know, Richmond or something. I don't know. That sounds and, like a evil uh, place. And and my uncle had like he, he they they were just going to actually they were going to talk a, a truce in the war. This is this is an unreported part of history, Dan. You didn't know this. So so my uncle Ben and USG 
We're we're going to Virginia because yeah, this was at the point where the North was kind of you know eating its lunch a little bit. They hadn't really gotten their stuff together, and um, but instead, my 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 uncle was part of this conspiracy. So USG had him wear this like high tech glove, and he was like, when Jefferson Davis shakes goes to shake your hand, be sure that you shake it where you're wearing this glove. And and my my uncle Ben was just like, well, what is this going to do? And it's like, oh, you'll you'll see it'll it, it'll be explosive. Hint hint. You know, I mean, you know, read between the lines, right? And um, so so my my uncle went to go shake his hand, and then just kind of like stood there, waited for something to happen, and then USG just laughed at him and 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 sent him over to the the south as a prisoner of war in exchange for um you know not killing them or something uh, so my uncle that's so specific a, a prisoner of war like he was used as a pawn total betrayal um and and you know he 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 spent the rest of the war in in a, in a prison camp for the south and you know as he was working on the plantains every day he said uh why did i listen to usg and with great podcasts must also come amazing spider talk Oh, okay. <laughs> I got nothing. <laughs>